believe we almost have another year of Wellspring under our belt. Just two more dates, April 30th and May 14th, so be sure you have those on your calendar. Um, we need one more volunteer for food on the last day. If you can do that, Terry, are you signing up? Is that you? Oh, Terry's bringing food. Okay, this one is taken. Thank you, Terry. Um, and then just a special request. You guys know we have a grill out tomorrow, which is so great and exciting. Um, so we're going to end our discussion groups at 8.55, and... Because my husband is teaching over in Build, I was telling him that the ladies were going to be tearing down the tables and moving to the warehouse, and he said, no. Here's what you tell the ladies. Stack up the chairs and stacks of ten and put them against the side of the walls, and then get out of the way. <laughs> he said he will have the men move all the tables, but it's really helpful if we aren't just standing out there in the hall. So if we will move on over to the warehouse... Allie has a bunch of tablecloths that as they bring the tables over, we can take the little blue plastic tablecloths and cover the tables. So if you're able to stay and help with that, that would be really great. So finish your discussion group five minutes early. Stack up the chairs in your room. Um, Lori, you have people who are going to help you clear everything off those tables. And so... Anybody who wants to help, Yeah. Well, just... Okay. Just because if we can get that out and not have a huge group of people out there, that'll help the men. Um, and then move on out to the warehouse. If you can't stay, but you're, you know, talking to somebody, just move it out to the foyer so they can be men and haul tables fast and be strong and all that. Okay. <laughs> whatever, they, whatever they do. But my husband said our job is to get out of the way and put the tablecloths on. Okay. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get going. <laughs> That's what happens when you ask your husband what to do. Okay, it's a good thing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. It is just a joy to be here with my friends, my sisters in Christ. Um, Lord, you are the one who has given us each the ability to be here, the desire to be here. You are the only one who can save, who can draw people to yourself into the body of your son and make us one with each other. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Sarah, who is here to encourage us with the disciplines this morning. And thank you for Chris, who's here to teach us from your word. Father, I I thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. I pray your spirit would be the one who um, does your work in each of our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to be alert, to be awake, to pay attention to be able to keep track of where we are and the outline. And Father, more than that, just have soft, teachable hearts that remember what we hear and become more like Christ because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Sarah Martin's going to share from the Wellspring Service Discipline for us. Good morning. Um, it's not unknown to the people around me that I really like ice cream and in in fact when I was getting married I really wanted to have ice cream more than cake and it didn't work out but we tried but um, about a year ago I started craving ice cream particularly often <laughs> to the point of walking around the house and thinking about ice cream and talking to my husband and saying, we should go get ice cream soon. And going to the grocery store and thinking, maybe I don't have ice cream on my list, but maybe I should get some ice cream, much more than usual. And it took me about three or four weeks of this and wondering why am I craving ice cream so much right now? 
before I realized that on my Instagram feed, I had recently subscribed to a local gourmet ice cream shop <laughs> where they send daily pictures of ice cream, ice cream sundaes and the like. And it appears that that was just too much for my ice cream loving heart to see piles of whipped cream topped with homemade toffee and nuts and hot fudge and all of those delicious things. And the daily reminder of that was causing my heart and my mind to be set on ice cream. And lo and behold, I kid you not, I unfollowed them and the cravings did pass. So um, similarly, uh, we are called to bring our hearts before God's word. So let's turn our folders over if you aren't there already and look at the Wellspring purpose and disciplines. I thought to myself when I, when I figured that out, if that isn't a good example of shepherding my mind and the results that it can have, then I don't know what is. Um, we become like the company that we keep and what we spend our time and set before our minds and the things that we treasure in our hearts and expose our hearts to repeatedly is what molds us. <clears throat> the purpose says, uh, we are here to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church <clears throat> to shepherd their hearts towards Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Um, Discipline one, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. I think of Romans 11.33, which says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. We're told that God's riches are unfathomable, which is an actual term of of um, research or, or seeking something out. The depths of the ocean are too deep for us to understand, and God is compared to that. And yet he gives us his word, and he has revealed to us who he is through his word. And so that is the best way to know him and understand him and his wisdom and his plan and his love through uh, the word and particularly Christ's life death and resurrection. Um, I need to intentionally and purposefully bring my mind before the word and my heart before God there. We've been learning all year that this isn't just valuable, um, like Romans 11.33 says, um, that there's riches and wisdom there. It's not just valuable, it's actually essential to our daily walk and to finishing well. Um, so many people are shown to us, and we've studied them this year, about they started well, and yet they did not finish well because of where they set their minds and their hearts over time. Discipline 2 says she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. When I, when I am faithfully shepherding my heart uh, and... Uh, 
bringing my thoughts and my heart toward God and the gospel, then my home does not consist simply of a list of tasks or things that need to be accomplished or people that need tending to. Um, it is instead an outpouring of the love and the grace that I have received and that I need so desperately that I have received in Christ. Discipline three, the ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she then steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So ministry is a further outpouring and its main purpose is to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. And I think that's easy to forget when we are in the midst of ministry that that the main purpose is to be shepherding those around us. So um, I'm thankful for the time that we've spent in Wellspring this year, and I'm looking forward to what Chris has to share for us. So, come on up. Well, good morning, ladies. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing the disciplines with us. I, I love hearing from different people um, going over the disciplines. I always am reminded of something afresh. And Sarah, I know you are one who take the disciplines seriously at your time with the, with the Lord in the Word, um, in His Word, absolutely overflows into your home and into your ministry. And uh, so I just uh, praise God for you and for the impact of his word in your life. So thank you so much. Um, this morning we are going to talk about discipline number three. Um, so, uh, and specifically we're going to be talking about Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul's example of effective ministry. So as we begin, I want you just somewhere on your outline to um, just write down some names of the people that God has placed in your life. Um, I, maybe people that you, well, actually I would start with people that you live with. Um, maybe some neighbors, some co-workers, people in your small group. And I'd like for you to include some believers as well as some non-believers. So just write those down somewhere. Just be thinking about um, who God has placed in your life. And I'll give you just a minute to do that. Wow, you have a lot of people in your life. I love this. <laughs> okay, I want you just to look down over that list again for just a minute. Because these are the names that what you wrote down, those are the names and the faces 
that I want you to keep in your mind as you listen to the lesson this morning. We need to remember that all of us, every single one of us in this room, have a field of ministry, of influence, wherever God has placed us. So the principles that we're going to learn from Paul's ministry in 1 Thessalonians 1 weren't only true for Paul's ministry. Okay, I don't want you to listen to it that way. But they are exactly what we need to carry into our ministry. Okay, I'm going to say it again, not because I don't think you've got it, but because we need to remember. They are exactly what we need to carry into our ministry. Whether that's in your home, that's where we start, in our church, everywhere that God has placed us. And so before we begin um, looking at 1 Thessalonians 1, let's, let's pray. Father, we, um, we are just so thankful to be here this morning. And as we pause and think about the ministry that you have given to us, whatever that might look like in our own lives, in our season of life, um, or with the people that you have placed in our own lives, Father, we know that we are dependent on you. We're dependent on your Holy Spirit to work in us so that we will be effective gospel ministers in their lives. Father, I know that I need this lesson this morning. I want it to bear fruit in my own life with the people that you have placed in my life and also to conform me into the image of your Son so that this ministry that you have called me to do Um, that you want to use me in. Father, I pray that it would be effective and honoring to you. And Father, I pray that for each one of us in this room. I pray that none of us would hear um, this morning that this is for someone else or the ministry that you've given to them um, isn't important to you. Because Father, you have called all of us to be used by you. And you are so faithful to give us your word, to instruct us. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the power of the gospel so that we can be um, effective ministers. And Father, I pray that uh, we would think on the things that we're going to look at this morning, that we would ponder them, that we would allow you to use them to impact our own hearts. And Father, that we wouldn't merely hear your word this morning, but that we would be doers of your word. And so we thank you, Father. We pray that we would humbly look and and, uh, hear the things that you have for us this morning. We're so grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you haven't yet, I'd like for you to open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1. And uh, I want to read through the whole chapter uh, this morning. And then um, we're going to be focusing in our lesson on verses 5 through 10. So while you're turning there, I just want to remind you of a little bit of background. Uh, Paul's ministry in Thessalonica is found in Acts 17. This was Paul's second missionary journey, and he was with Timothy and Silas. Acts 17, 1 and 2 says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom... So that was his practice. It's what he did. He went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, 
And we know because it says that there were Jews and Gentiles, and it even specifically says that there were women who were saved. So now what it says that Paul was there for three Sabbaths, it doesn't mean that he wasn't there any longer than three weeks. But we do know that he went into the synagogue explaining the scriptures only three Sabbaths. Three times he explained that Jesus is Messiah, that he had come to suffer and to be raised from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. So if we stop and think about that, let it impact our hearts. But there was a church that existed in Thessalonica because Paul was faithful to preach the gospel to them for just a very short time. Sometimes I know that I need to be reminded of the power of the gospel and God's faithfulness in using us in gospel ministry. And so now Paul is writing to them about a year later from Corinth. So follow with me as I read through 1 Thessalonians 1. And let's look at the impact of the gospel ministry in, Thessal in Thessalonica. It says, Paul and Silvanus, which is just another name for Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers and constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the presence of our God and Father, knowing brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And now Paul explains how he knows that they are chosen. <clears throat> he said, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia, Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we had no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how, we, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So now with our, now, uh, with our focus on verses 5 through 10, we're going to look uh, at five ministry truths that will better help us understand discipline number three and how the Lord would have us minister to the people that he has placed in our lives. So again, keep in mind that list that you just wrote down. Those are the people that I want you to be thinking about as you look at these principles. These are important components of ministry seen in Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians. So you have them in your outline. We're gonna start with number one. You'll see that on your outline there. Ministry's message must include the gospel. You see that blank on your outline? Ministry's message must include the gospel. 
When we talk about ministry, we must make sure that we understand what the message is, right? We can't have ministry if we don't know what the message is. So in our, in our homework, we read through 1 Thessalonians, and we looked for the kinds of things that Paul addressed. And we saw that his message included a lot of things, right? There was evangelism. Did you pick that up? Obviously, there was evangelism. There was encouragement. There was, there was strengthening. Paul gave warnings, and he gave commands, and he gave instructions. His message addressed a broad spectrum of the Christian life. But what we don't want to miss is where he began and what all of his communication was rooted in, and that is the gospel. Paul said in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The gospel was central to Paul's message. Now, here in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is talking about evangelism, how he brought the gospel to those who had never before heard it. But Paul's use of the gospel, his view of gospel ministry, was not limited to evangelism. He didn't reserve the gospel for evangelism alone. I think it's helpful to look at some verses and see Paul's, Paul's broader use of the gospel beyond evangelism. And so we're going to walk through those verses on your outline. We're going to move through fairly quickly. Um, just to give you a glimpse into how broad this is throughout the New Testament. So in Romans 1, Paul is writing a letter to the believers in Rome. And in verse 15, he writes, for my, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul is eager to preach the gospel to believers. Then in Romans 16, 25, at the end of that same letter, he says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Paul wants these believers to be established according to the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he writes, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, the word of the cross, the gospel, is, that means present tense, right now, the power of the gospel. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 15.1, he writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you were saved. So do you see that the fact that these believers had already received the gospel and were standing in the gospel, and were being saved by the gospel, didn't keep Paul from making it known to them again, reminding them as believers of the same gospel that saved them. In verse 3, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And what message did he receive? that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he's raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. 
The gospel Paul is preaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins, is of first importance, or the most important of all. And in Colossians 1.23, he exhorts believers not to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. He said, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. And now I, I'd like for you just to follow along with me on, on your outline. We're going to, it's on the second page in that little box up at the top. We're going to hear how Milton Vincent, um, who wrote A Gospel Primer, summarizes the role of the gospel in the life of a believer. And by the way, if you don't have that book, I would really encourage you to get it. I think they have it on the book tape, book rack. Um, they'll have it out there on Sunday, Mother's Day is around the corner. If, uh, that would be an appropriate gift to ask to. I know this book has really, really impacted my own life. So um, let's read it together. And we're going to hear how, um, well, first of all, we'll hear some of the verses that, that we already read. But I, I just wanted to impact you to remind you again of the importance of the gospel in the life of a believer. So he says, the New Testament teaches that Christians ought to hear the gospel as much as non-Christians do. In fact, in the first chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in the church that he was anxious to preach the gospel to those who are at Rome. Of course, he was anxious to preach the gospel to the non-Christians at Rome, yet he specifically states that he was eager to preach it to the believers as well. To the Corinthian Christians who had already believed and been saved by the gospel, Paul says, I make known to you the gospel which you have believed. He then restates the historical facts of the gospel before showing them how those gospel facts apply to their beliefs in the afterlife. This is actually Paul's approach to various other issues throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. In most of Paul's letters to the churches, sizable portions of them are given over to rehearsing gospel truths. For example, Ephesians 1 through 3 is all gospel. Colossians 1 and 2 is gospel. And Romans 1 all the way through chapter 11 is gospel. The reminder of such, excuse me, the remainder of such books shows specifically how to bring those gospel truths to bear on life. Re-preaching the gospel and then showing them how it applied to life was Paul's choice method in ministering to believers, thereby providing a divinely inspired pattern for me and for you to follow when ministering to myself and to other believers. <clears throat> now, obviously, this <clears throat> may not be new um, to at this point to many of us in Wellspring. Uh, but I know for me, and I think for many of us, we spent years and years thinking that the gospel was primarily how someone got saved. So you preach it to unbelievers. And we do, right? But if that is all that we think, then we're missing a very significant aspect of the gospel. That kind of thinking is missing something that is very important, that the gospel needs to be preached 
to those who are already in the faith. And so here you have two blanks on your outline. So the first one, the gospel must be preached to unbelievers with the hope that they will believe. And the gospel must be preached to those who are believers. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that we neglect anything else in the word. God's word is full of promises and instructions and comforts as well as commands to obey. But we don't want to miss our ongoing need of the gospel as well. The gospel is foundational not only to salvation, but to all aspects of our Christian life. So let's think about that for a little bit. What do we really mean by that? The gospel puts God's character on display for us. His justice, his mercy, his power, his love that helps us grow in our knowledge of him and our reverence of him. It provides us with new life through Christ's resurrection from the dead. And with that new life come new abilities and desires to love and to obey our Savior. Remember back at the very beginning of Wellspring when we went through this? Maybe it's time for you to pull this back out again and rehearse the gospel truths to your own life. Oh, I'm sorry. This is God's transformation of man. Do you remember going through this? If you um, haven't had it out for a while, I'd really encourage you to go through those gospel truths. The gospel gives us the certain hope of eternity with our God. And it sets us on a path in which we can be assured that God is at work in us, in our trials, for our good, to make us more like Christ, and to purify our faith. The gospel assures us that on our best day and on our worst day, our acceptance with God depends not on that day, but on the finished work of Christ alone. And so we obey him out of our love for him, not because we're trying to earn his approval, and the gospel is what ushers us into, into life as members of Christ's body, in which we are members of one another, okay, right here together in our church. The gospel is foundational in all of this. We can't forget that. You see what a treasure we have in the gospel? So we can't move away from it. Our message in ministry must include the gospel. So if that's true, what must we know? It's okay, you can answer. <clears throat> we must know the gospel, right? How if if it's that important, if that's the message of our ministry, then we need to know the gospel. That's why we had you write it out in your homework this week. And I hope that was encouraging to you. <clears throat> To, continue, to go over again the gospel's message. So what do we mean when we say the gospel? Now, on the one hand, it can be as succinct as God saves sinners. That is the gospel, right? We already read in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised at, on the third day according to the scriptures. Those are the core truths of the gospel. 
So we want to remember that. But when we're ministering with the gospel, we also want to include some context and implications of those core truths. We'll talk about God's right to rule in our lives and the judgment that we deserve because of our, our sin. We'll talk about what Christ accomplished at the cross and what the gospel does in the life of a believer and the promises that we have of eternal life with God. And so to give you some tools to help you keep growing in your understanding of the gospel and of communicating the gospel, because we never want to stop growing in that, right? We've given you some a gospel resource handout in, uh, in with your outline. These are tools to help you grow in communicating the gospel and shepherding with the gospel, both to your own heart as well as to others. So although we had you look at the, write out the gospel as part of your homework this last week, we're going to have you look at it again this week and refine it if you need to. Maybe you want to include a little bit more of the um, what the gospel means in the life of a believer if you didn't do that last time. So um, we're going to have you look, look at that again. So don't turn that in with your homework, but hang on to that and just give it a, a look again. <clears throat> As we all continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel's power and purposes, we'll be more willing to talk about it, won't we? Both with unbelievers and with those who already believe. We'll talk about it because the gospel is about knowing Christ. The gospel needs to saturate us because it's good news about our Savior and what he has done. And so as we think about ministry, we do have the whole counsel of God, all of his word, and it's, po and it's power to make us more like Christ. And we want to use God's word, not only in our own lives, but in our care for others, right? And as we do that, we need to remember Paul's example, how he was eager to preach the gospel to the believers and to make it known to them and to establish them in it. He said it was of first importance that it was the power of God to those who believe and that believers must never move away from the hope of the gospel. The gospel was foundational under Paul's instruction, under his teaching, under his encouragement, his warnings and his commands. And our relationships need the gospel, too. That's what belongs at the center of our relationships, just as it did Paul's. So we want to be looking for ways to encourage others with the gospel. And we want to have our own hearts hungry to hear it as well. Because when we're struggling, where we need to begin is with the gospel. But that may not be what we always want in that struggle, right? Sometimes, I know certainly for me in my own rebellious heart, maybe for you, we don't always want to hear the truths of the gospel. But that's exactly what we need. And so when we are humble enough, when we're struggling to ask others to remind us of the truths of the gospel, or when we're willing to go to the Word and, and remind our own hearts of the gospel, 
When we remember who God is and the offensiveness of our own sin to him and that Christ suffered so that our sin could be forgiven and that he rose from the dead and that believers are freed from sin's enslavement and that we can walk in newness of life, those are the truths that will soften our heart to repent. It helps us to grieve over the wrath of God that Jesus endured for us. Thinking about our own sin in the light of the cross grows us in our love for Jesus, doesn't it? And the gospel prepares us to fight our sin and to obey God's commands. And keeping the gospel central gives us hope. It helps us to remember that we are saved by grace. We are not under condemnation because Jesus bore all of the condemnation that we deserve. We are deeply loved by God. And we see that in sharpest focus in the gospel. Now, of course, ministry isn't always about sin we're struggling with. We need to encourage and to help one another in many different circumstances and seasons of life. And remembering the gospel, including the gospel, <coughs> can provide great comfort and hope and endurance. And we want to remember that with our children. We want to be careful not only to talk to them about the gospel when we are correcting them or disciplining them, right? Because the gospel brings hope even when you're not doing something wrong. So it takes practice to do this. And so we need to walk carefully and humbly with one another as we grow in bringing the gospel to one another in ways that are helpful. We don't want to ever bring the gospel without being compassionate, without being sympathetic, without being concerned about the person. But in the midst of loving one another, we do bring the gospel because that is where our hope is. It's where we're drawn back to the lover of our souls. So ministry must include the gospel. I know I've spent a lot of time about that, but I think it's really helpful to look at what God's word tells us about how much we still need the gospel. That you probably noticed that um, I skipped the third bullet point on page two. You can go back and look at those on your own if you'd like, because they show how Paul emphasized the gospel in his ministry to the, Thess to the Thessalonians. It was in the midst of, of hardship and opposition, and uh, it was where he, um, which was exactly where God entrusted Paul to be. And so I think those are just some really helpful references to look at Paul's ministry there. So let's go ahead and move on to the second point. This is on page three. It's the next blank on your outline. Ministry requires... An uncommon messenger. You see that in your blank. Ministry requires an uncommon messenger. So as important as the gospel message is, the content, the content of the gospel is re actually not where Paul was focused. 
Okay, and we see that in both First Thessalonians and in uh, in chapter excuse me chapter one and and chapter two. Here, Paul was focused not on the content of the message, but on the carrier of the message. He wanted to remind them of the kind of messenger who brought the gospel to them. Look again at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So how did the gospel come? It did come in word. Okay, We don't want to forget that. It did come in word, but not in word only. It came in power, and it came in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And how do we know that the gospel came this way? What does Paul point to by way of evidence? Let's finish reading verse 5. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So just as is a phrase of comparison. It's acting like an equal sign. So Paul is saying that the evidence that the gospel came to them in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, is the kind of messengers that he and Silas and Timothy were. Paul is focusing them back beyond just the content of the gospel message. When he thinks back on his ministry with them, he remembers these three things about it. First, he remembers that, that he came to them and there was power in his interaction with them. The power of God was there among them as messengers of the gospel. And second, he remembers that his coming was in the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit's work in these messengers was evident. And third, he remembers that when he came, he had the fullness of confidence. Again, he's talking about these messengers who had full conviction about the message that they proclaimed. All of these things he's describing, the power, the Holy Spirit, full conviction, were seen in the men who brought the message. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Now here in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul points, Paul's point is to describe the gospel messenger. And that's because the quality of the messenger is so important. That's why discipline number one, the heart, is our first discipline. Meeting with God daily in his word will make us fruitful gospel servants uncommon messengers who come in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction about the power and hope of God's word in every day life, in every part of our life. And so if we want to be that kind of gospel messenger, then we need to make it our prayer to ask God, please, as we seek to bring the gospel into our relationships, to help us to rely on his power in our conversations, in our service, in time with our children, and our responses to others. And we need to cry out to God, say, God, I, I need 
your Holy Spirit. And God, I need full conviction of the power of your word to comfort, to convict, to transform. <clears throat> and so what did that power look like in Paul and in Silas and in Timothy? What do you think of when you hear the word power? Yeah. Okay, some people have some thoughts in mind. Well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 2. And uh, we're going to to see here what uh, he had in mind with when he talked about power. So if you, beginning in verse 6, if you look um, about halfway down, you'll see uh, that he says, As apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Now he's saying, in other words, he's saying we had every right as apostles to assert our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Is that what you thought of? Um, I, I, I just I think this just puts such a great word picture in our mind. Here is Paul, the apostle. He is a man certainly that I would think of as one with power and full of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And he says, I was like a nursing mother among you. I was protecting you with my gentleness. And then in verse 8, he says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Now you're going to be reading through 1 Thessalonians again. Um, for our next lesson. And I hope that it, if you didn't in preparation for today, that you'll go back and that you'll look and you'll notice Paul's tenderness with these believers in Thessalonica. It's interesting because I think that when we think of power, the first, it certainly doesn't isn't the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um, I don't usually think of power as gentle a nursing mother, tender care, affection. Paul was an apostle. He had authority. And yet he shows us how effective ministry embraces gentleness. That's why Paul's analogy of a nursing mother is so powerful. A nursing mother doesn't want to place a burden on her baby. Right? Instead, she seeks to remove every obstacle to her baby receiving exactly what he needs. And so as we think about ministry in our home, in, to anyone in our own sphere of influence, we need to be thinking about the kind of care that steps into someone else's world, into their life, sometimes into their mess, with love and gentleness and humility and patience. That's the kind of care that will help that person get to a better place. Didn't Jesus do that? And Paul did that too. The Thessalonians <coughs> needed the gentleness of a nursing mother. And this apostle was that for them. 
The gospel is the milk we all need. It's what changes us, right? And it's what nourishes us. And it's what will nourish others as well as we walk with them in love. So, what will it take in your life, in my life, to be that kind of uncommon messenger to the people that God has placed in our lives or will place in our lives? Ladies, let's shepherd our heart to the Word of God to get the gospel to get Jesus. Let's plead with God for his power. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in our lives. Let's plead for greater conviction about the gospel's power to transform us. Because ministry requires an uncommon messenger. And we all have that need Right? We, we need, we want to be that kind of messenger, and we all have exactly what we need in Christ to be that messenger. So let's go ahead and take a break for just a little bit, and then we're going to come back and uh, we'll move on to number three. So let's go ahead and move on and to number three on our outline. Ministry involves imitation. Ministry involves imitation. So let's go ahead and read 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, and we're going to look at verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now by saying us and the Lord, Paul is not saying that that there were two different lives to imitate. He rather, Paul is saying that his pattern of life was in alignment with the Lord's. He's saying, if you imitate me, you will be imitating Christ. He also says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, we do want to make sure that the gospel comes in word. Okay, that was the first point in our outline. But we also want our lives to be so transformed by the gospel that our lives are actually imitatable. That needs to be our prayer, that God would make us imitatable women. Now, your reaction might be like mine. Really? Me? But yes, that is how we need to be thinking. People are watching us. They are. And I know that can be intimidating. And so um, we can't think of this without remembering what? The gospel, right? The gospel is what changes us. So as we align our lives with Christ, the gospel is what enables us to live a life worth imitating. That's the good news. It's Christ's work in us. Now, I think that word alignment is so helpful. Doesn't that just make you think of driving? I used to drive in high school this old beater car. And I I remember when it would would be out of alignment. It just, it it was like I could hardly steer, could hardly keep it going. 
made, it was hard to drive. I was always fighting with that steering wheel. It felt unsafe to me. I, it was just really hard to keep it going straight. But when a car is in alignment, it means that it travels in a straight line. All four tires are pointing in the same direction. In fact, when a car is in alignment, you don't really even think about it, right? You don't notice it because that's the way it's supposed to operate. It's not supposed to be out of alignment. It's supposed to be in alignment. And that is God's intention for us as well. We are to so align our lives with Christ that others might imitate our life as we imitate Jesus. So what does having a life worth imitating look like? What are some characteristics that mark the life of a godly, imitatable person? We're going to have some time to look at that in your homework over these next couple weeks. Because if someone is going to be imitated, then they need to be the right kind of example. And God, in his kindness, has given us examples throughout his word. I just, I love coming upon an example of someone who I'm like, yes, that person, that's someone whose life I want to really take note of. And Paul certainly is one of the greatest examples for, for the church. Now, he wasn't perfect, okay? We can't put him up on a pedestal. But as a gospel minister, Paul not only preached the gospel, he not only established churches, he not only instructed them, but he also put his life right in front of them. Paul just, um, and he did that not so that the focus would be on him, but he wanted them to see a life that was transformed by the gospel. Paul didn't just come in, drop off an instruction manual, and walk away, did he? Nope, he lived with them, and he continued to care for them. So that, so that his example brought an impact to the lives of those that he was ministering to. And that also is God's goal for us. God's design in gospel ministry is that we would give one another not just the gospel, but that we would give each other an example to follow. Well, how did the Thessalonians imitate Paul's example? Let's look again at verse 6. He said, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When the Thessalonians received the word, there was hostile opposition and persecution. But in God's design, by his plan, the gospel went forward in the midst of tribulation and affliction. Paul certainly experienced that as well as the Thessalonian believers. Yet, tribulation was accompanied by joy produced in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't naturally think that opposition and tribulation and affliction and joy go together, right? I tend to think that tribulation and affliction will diminish my joy. But this verse tells us that with tribulation comes the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
the Thessalonians received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul did. And it's in that sense that they imitated Paul. The word came to them, and there was hostile opposition and persecution, and yet they were joyful. They had gained a great treasure in Christ that no amount of difficulty could ever take away from them. And we can have that kind of joy. And so we must plead with God to make us imitators of Christ so as to be that kind of joyful example to others. So when... What verse was that again? They had the joy in the tribulation. Verse 6? Okay. I'm sorry. I was going to try and take it. Okay. Uh, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians. Yes. Chapter 1 or 2? Oh, 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 oh,
for a purpose. The so that at the beginning of verse 7 indicates that there's a purpose coming. You became imitators so that you became an example. In verses 6 and 7, there's a chain reaction taking place in gospel ministry. And that chain reaction is one person imitating another. And then someone else imitating them. Christ is imitated by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And then they become men that the Thessalonians imitated. And now the Thessalonians are examples all over Macedonia and Achaia, the whole region where they lived. That's the chain reaction. And this is where we need to set our sights in gospel ministry. If we step into someone else's life simply for the purpose of being an example for them to follow, that's a good thing. But as good as it is, we're still missing something. We want to not only be an example to those in our lives, but we also want to help them grow to be examples for others. Paul then offers an explanation in verse 8 of the imitation chain reaction that's been taking place. It's an example of what we mean by effective lives. Verse 8 says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. That's how the Thessalonians were an example. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So do you notice how far the word of the Lord sounded forth from them? Remember, they had just heard the gospel for the first time about a year before this. But now the word of the Lord has gone forth not only in their local area, but it says in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Verse 8 tells us, that the effects of this, let's keep, let's look a little bit further there. He said, so that we have no need to say anything. Do you see what he's saying? The great preacher, Paul, can't add anything more. Their gospel proclamation and their example was so effective. Their lives were so thoroughly transformed as believers that by the time Paul got there, there was nothing to add. Can you imagine gospel proclamation being so effective that the Apostle Paul would be reduced to silence? That's effective gospel ministry. So let's take a minute to review. What are the principles for ministry that we've learned so far from Paul's example with the Thessalonians? First, we've seen that a life of ministry means that we never leave the gospel behind. It's infused in our thoughts. It's the, kind of like uh, the Instagram, right, Sarah? It's infused in our thoughts. It's the joy of our hearts. It's the comfort of our souls, and it's what we are always looking to share with others. And then second, it means being an uncommon messenger with that gospel, displaying God's power, 
and his spirit and conviction through gentleness. And it also means being an example to others, having the joy, having great joy in the midst of our trials. And then number four, we've seen that we need to desire that people actually imitate our example. We want to be so effective in ministry that ministry is multiplied, that ministry continues on through them. We need to pray that God would use those to minister, excuse me, use those we minister to in our homes, in our small groups, in our neighborhood, wherever he places us, um, that they would speak even more broadly than we do. Now that's a high calling, isn't it? But we don't want to shrink back from that calling. Instead, it's something we need to look for and aim for and to pray for by God's grace. This is what the gospel has the power to do. It's what God has called us to do. So let's pray that God would use us in this way, that the gospel would be proclaimed and lived out with a life that is imitatable for the people around us so that they would become an example for others to those that maybe to those beyond that we couldn't even reach that's what paul is describing him here and that's the kind of ministry that we need to aim for okay so now let's look at number five it's our last principle Ministry labors for nothing less than repentance. Ministry labors for nothing less than repentance. Okay, let's look at verses 9, um, eight, nine and 10. But uh, actually, let, I'm going to just look up real quickly at the end of verse 8. So he, at the end of verse 8, he, had, he just ended with, we have no need to say anything. Now, why is that? He says, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So the Macedonians and the Achaeans and all the others were reporting two things. First, they were reporting about the gospel messenger that Paul was and the kind of reception that he had with the Thessalonians. So what kind of reception did Paul have? The word reception is the word for an entrance. Okay, Paul had a wide open entrance, a welcome path right into their lives. That's the report that was going out. Paul's ministry was well received. Paul here is emphasizing again how important the messenger is, his manner among them, the kind of man he proved to be among them. His behavior was never an obstacle to the gospel. And that helps complement something else. It's the second thing that the Macedonians were reporting. They were, they were reporting about how the Thessalonians turned to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven. <clears throat> they turned to God from idols. 
What's that called when someone turns? To repent. It's called repentance. The report is about how they repented. The point of the report is not just how well Paul was received, but that the Thessalonians repented. See, the whole goal of being received was so that they would repent and turn to the Lord. That's gospel ministry. That's what we mean when we say that gospel labors for nothing less than repentance. Now, most of the time, I think we focus on that first part without too much trouble, right? We want to be liked. We want to be received. We want to be welcomed. We like that kind of reputation. But the Macedonians and the Kaids couldn't only think of that aspect of gospel ministry. They also thought of repentance. This repentance showed that they had not that they had not only seen the example of a gospel transformed life in Paul, but that they also had heard the gospel proclaimed and that they had responded to it. And that's how it should be for us too. We must proclaim the gospel as well as live it out. Now, I think some of us are very focused on being sure that we give out the gospel, maybe even without necessarily being concerned about how we give it out. Okay, maybe it's kind of like a little hit and run approach. Others of us <laughs> might be more on the relational side. We might be more inclined to think, well, I just need to build a really strong relationship and just show the love of Christ. But then we might really never get around to sharing the gospel. But we can't be satisfied with either of those, can we? That's not gospel ministry. We can't be satisfied with thinking, well, I gave him the gospel. Maybe I was a little bit harsh. They don't like me anymore, but I gave him the gospel. <laughs> Nor can we be satisfied with thinking, well, I may not have given him the gospel, or like I really softened it a lot, but at least I was really loving in doing it, right? If we want to be effective in ministry, we must share a, a clear and complete and accurate gospel. But that gospel proclamation is never disconnected from caring for people. And we have to be careful because I think we probably all have a tendency to lean one way or the other. We might even favor one to the exclusion of the other. And so, what do we need to be doing? We need to give the gospel and, and we need to impact Excuse me, and we need to impart our lives. We work to do both of these. We join the gospel content and gospel care together. They're inseparable. And they are effective together as we labor for nothing less than repentance. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. What characterized the Thessalonians' repentance? It says they turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. They served God and they waited for Jesus' return. 
If ministry labors for nothing less than repentance, that means we labor for transformation of life. We labor to see people become servants of the Lord who long for Jesus' return. Remember, this is all done gently like a nursing mother, not being harsh, not being abrasive. Now we're going to close by turning to 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. Paul here emphasizes the kind of gospel messenger that the Lord loves to use. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God might grant them repentance. And it's our responsibility and privilege as those who are under grace to be that kind of messenger. Not quarrelsome, but kind, patient, teaching, and correcting them with gentleness. That's the kind of person that God loves to use in bringing people to repentance. And can I just remind the moms in here? That's the kind of mom God loves to use to bring children to repentance. And if we're going to be that kind of women, where do we come back to? What do we always come back to? I hope you're thinking discipline number one. We shepherd our hearts. We shepherd our hearts because we understand how important it is for us to step into relationships in our homes and in our church and in our, in our uh, world with the right message and being the right messenger. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Thank you for this message. Father, thank you that we um, were challenged this morning. Father, we want to be the right messenger. We want to be used by you. And yet, Father, I am so grateful that you don't ask us to do that without remembering your son, remembering what he did for us. Father, we are thankful that your gospel changes us, that it provides for us. Father, we know that it's through Jesus that we have newness of life. You've given us grace to persevere, to be faithful proclaimers of your gospel to be examples of the kind of messengers that uh, you love to use. Father, we want to be effective in sharing the gospel with those who are lost. Father, we want to share the hope of the gospel, but we want to do that with gentleness. Father, we want to do that by sharing our lives with others. And so I pray, I plead for each one of us in this room Father, that we would aim to be the kind of gospel messengers that you desire for us. Thank you for giving us the example 
of the Apostle Paul and so many others. Father, we plead with you to use us for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.